God, you are such an amazing God, and we acknowledge you as uh, God of our lives. We acknowledge you, Lord, that without you, uh, we are nothing. We are here because you allowed us to be here uh, through your Son by the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you very much, Lord, for giving us everything that we need. And at this time, Lord, we honor you and we praise you, and we communicate our gratitude to you for this weekend this fourth uh, annual Grow Weekend that we're having. We thank you, Lord, for everybody who's here and uh, for the weekend that's upcoming. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you will uh, grow us, edify us, and build us up uh, into people who um, love and uh, are able to uh, demonstrate that love in very practical ways. And I pray that um, we will be able to um, learn with open hearts and minds, um, how to listen, how to grow in our empathy and compassion, and so help the people uh, around us who are struggling. Please be with us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ed Gray is our speaker. Um, so um, uh, Ed Gray is uh, Professor Emeritus of Counseling teaching for Harding School of Theology since 1993. That's a long, you've been teaching for a long time. Uh, he has counseled individuals and couples for over 40 years. Um, he is an approved supervisor and clinical member of the American Association for Marriage and Family Therapy. In April 2005, he received the Distinguished Teacher of the Year Award from Harding University. So from what I understanding, that award is, uh, he's, very, he's well liked by the, by, the, by the staff and the students. And I can attest to that. Ed is a good guy. Uh, He is the author of several 12 conversations programs for helping individuals utilize the power of stories to support one another in facing various transitions in their lives. Uh, He has a website called www.12conversations.com. You can check that out to see more of his work there. Ed and his wife Rhonda have been married for 44 years and speak often on marriage and mentoring. They have lived in Tennessee, Louisiana, and California. They are the proud parents of three adult sons and two daughters-in-law. He served as an associate minister in Louisiana, a psychologist and marriage and family counselor in California, and currently is a licensed marriage and family therapist, as well as a licensed professional counselor in Tennessee. So we're not going to bring you up here yet, but uh, I think we are going to sing more songs. Thank you, Miles, for bringing that up. And um, uh, take your songbooks from the pew in front of you. Um, number 446. And I just want to point out that there's a carload that came from Edmonton, Alberta, and they've been driving since 3 a.m. to be here for this. They just arrived. Ooh. Yeah. The, the ones whose eyes are kind of like this and, yeah, <laughs> whoops. Um, four, 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 six. Mm-hmm. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy soul. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God. 
Interesting. I mean, our lessons are about caring about each other. Uh, 437, just turn back a couple pages. One of the four, number 437, one of the fundamentals from the book of Romans. Uh, we are grateful for what Jesus has done for us, and that's why we can be here. That's why we can celebrate. Mm. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has set me free from the law of sin and death. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Um, are we good now? Okay. Thank you, Tim, for that. Um, now I, I, it's official. The kids are dismissed to Kids Grow 2. And kids three years old and below uh, to child care upstairs, please. Okay. So, uh, again, welcome to everybody. And uh, I'm just going to say a little anecdote before you come up, Ed. Okay, I just thought about this now. Um, you know, this the things that we're going to learn this weekend is going to really help us um, support the people who are struggling around us. And there's many, we know many people that struggle. We struggle ourselves. And it's important for us to help them. And uh, the concepts that we are going to learn this weekend is going to uh, help us to be compassionate and empathetic to the people around us. It's really going to grow us in our listening skills. Not just hearing skills, but listening skills. And it is going to really um, improve our relationships with our spouse, with our kids, with our coworkers, and with the neighbors around us. And uh, just so you guys know, um, just last year, uh, the things that we're going to talk about, Ed's going to talk about uh, this weekend with us, you know, helped me a lot in my relationship with my wife, with my children, and, you know, with growing our family. And just so you know, at at that time last year when I took Ed's course, counseling course at HST, that I thought, why am I the only one benefiting from this? Like, I think he should come to our congregation so that the whole church can benefit from this. And so he's here today, this weekend, for that purpose. So without further ado, Ed, please. 
introduction, and thank you for the opportunity to be here with you for your GROW uh, weekend. Um, I'm curious to know, what is one thing you would like to take away from our time uh, here today and for the weekend that you'll say by Sunday after our last time of uh, presentation and worship, it was good that we came here for the weekend, drove all the way from Edmonton. What is it that you're hoping to hear or to learn? Anybody? Yeah, excellent. Because, you know, a lot of times we say, oh, I don't know, I, I can do that. Let's, who, who should I refer you to? And we, we want to send somebody to a professional counselor that they probably would never get to. There is so much that, yes, we can do as God's body reaching out to others. Yes. Yeah, how to better encourage, how to comfort. I know when I was a beginning counselor, I thought I had to have all these answers or just the right scripture at just the right moment. And what I found is that listening, and that's what we're going to be talking about through the weekend, how we listen better and don't worry about what needs to be told to the person. We need to help them discover that. And so, yeah, how to better encourage them and support them by our listening and our our presence uh, with them. One other person who, uh, yes. Yeah, how we'll do that. And so one of the things that we'll do, because I assume that you might like to ask questions along the way, is if you have a question about something specific, that seems to fit with the presentation, let's take that question and I'll work that in. Uh, and so, yeah, we'll work with those kinds of things. So when I taught this class um, for the first time, it was kind of like, this is going to be so much fun. Because with ministers, oftentimes at the School of Theology where I teach, when I was a young minister, and many of the young ministers um, that I, I teach think that they have to come up with the right thing to say. And really, if we reverse that, we have to be the present person to listen and know how to listen better so that we help people find their answers. So what we'll do through this weekend is demystify the helping process and how we really reach out to others and give the compassion that Christ gives us in our daily walk. And so I so appreciate what was said in the songs that were chosen for tonight about caring and about burdens and about following in the steps of Jesus because we see Jesus reaching out to people and encountering them in ways of compassion and presence, not preaching. You know, we do see Jesus teaching people, but we see a lot of other evidence in the Gospels that he was present with people. And somehow out of that encounter, they were better encouraged and took different directions in their life. For our anchor scripture that we'll work with both tonight and we'll come back to our sermon time on Sunday, 
uh, as well. We want to look at the words that Paul wrote in the second letter of the Corinthians uh, to the Corinthians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints throughout Achaia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, grace to you. He didn't start out with a bunch of commands. He invoked God's grace upon them. And he said, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles with the comfort we ourselves have, uh, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with that comfort we ourselves have received from God. So one of the things that I want us to appreciate throughout this weekend, that what we do is not of us. We're simply passing on the grace and the compassion from the Father of all comfort, the Father of all compassion. And we get to be the conduit, if you will, of that grace. And so I think if we can do any one thing that helps us kind of stand down and relax in the presence of a hurting person, it's we don't have to be the answer person. We get to be the conduit of God's grace. And oftentimes what we've learned about how difficult life can be and humbly admit that and what God's done for us That's the very same thing that other people need to receive through our hands. And so when you think about Paul's life, Paul didn't have an easy journey spiritually or physically. And so what do we know about the troubles of which Paul's referencing here? The God of all comfort, the God of all mercies who comforts Paul in all of his troubles so that then he can comfort others. What do we know about the struggles and troubles of Paul's life? I'm sorry, my hearing aids are competing with this in my ear. Yes, he had a thorn in the flesh. And so it was difficult for him. Life was not easy. And so what he had to struggle with, and we don't know what that is. People have speculated it was his eyesight or some other kind of problem. And and God used him in spite of that. Excellent. What else do we know about Paul's life? He was what? Yeah, he was imprisoned. He was really, thank you, that would be a help to me. You can be our uh, walk-around person. Yes, he was imprisoned. And unjustly in prison, and then for just reason, people didn't like what he was doing and he was in prison. But he was in prison. What's that going to do to your attitude and your sense of hope? Yeah, life was very tough. What else? He was shipwrecked and so hungry and worn out and and devastated. Am I going to live? Am I going to be able to get out of this water? And so even physical dangers. Yes. He was a man. Wow. He was a man who changed 
uh, complete direction in his life. There were those he loved and who would have been in support of him in his in his uh, zest to kill the Christians. Yes. And when he made an about face, he would have made many enemies. What a life flip he did on that Damascus Road encounter. And then he was a zealous person. What's interesting is Paul was a zealous person when he was persecuting the Christians. He was also the same personality, I would argue, zealous for Christ in a mission of grace. So, yeah, quite a 180 degree flip in his life. What else do we know about Paul? He was... Contented. Yeah, with all of these experiences that he had, somehow he found a peace and a contentment that defied any kind of logic. There's also something else about Paul. Remember when as Saul, he was he was educated in the school of Gamaliel. That was kind of the Jews Jews training theologically. And you talk about somebody who could be the um, the Bible answer man with his training, and yet it was in his weakness Christ was magnified. It was not in his knowledge or his background and his training. So those that's a biblical reflection I wanted us to begin with tonight because I think we really need to take the pressure when someone's hurting and they have a need and we're that person in their presence that God has placed there. We have to feel like this is not my work, this is God's work, and I just need to be the conduit uh, for that. So we think about the troubled people that Jesus encountered uh, in his ministry, who were some of those troubled people that we read about in the Gospels? Yes, Mary Magdalene, a woman of such sketchy uh, repute. And, and so he had grace for her. And don't we know we wish we knew even more of the story of how that came about. But someone who was a downcast in society looked down upon for her behavior. Yeah. Who else was troubled? The apostles. <laughs> the apostles. Impetuous Peter, who couldn't uh, keep his sword in his sheath uh, or his foot out of his mouth, we might say. Yes. Oh, the woman at the well in John 4, the idea that here's a woman who is, she's marginalized. One, she's not coming at the well at the time that normal people come to the well in the cooler part of the day. She was there because she was an ostracized woman. And her life and her many husbands and, and what Jesus had to do in, in counting Encountering her in a, a place of grace and acceptance and offering her living water. Yeah, the woman at the well. <laughs> you know, and sometimes this is when we get into people helping. They want to get, uh-oh, we've touched a little too close when he says, you know, uh, to her about her husband. 
and uh, she doesn't answer. <laughs> she dodges the question, and she wants to get in a, a religious discussion, or you might say a political discussion. And sometimes people aren't ready to talk, and yet Jesus gave her living water. Another troubled person. Zacchaeus. Oh, Zacchaeus. Yeah. Yeah, Zacchaeus, who, you know, was basically a marginalized person uh, because being a tax collector, you know, people didn't like Zacchaeus. And yet he had a curiosity about Jesus. And the wee little man was he and climbed up in the sycamore tree, if, if any of you are little people, Sunday school teachers, that little song. But the idea that he had a curiosity about Jesus and Jesus didn't start giving him a list of things to do. He said, let's go eat your house. And don't we wish we had been a little bird in the corner, uh, a fly on the wall, being able to listen to how they encountered in that time where Zacchaeus then made a total flip in his life to become a Christ follower and to right many of the wrongs that he had done in his life. So Zacchaeus, yeah. The woman caught in um, adultery. The woman that was caught in adultery. Yeah, the very woman caught in adultery who by the standards of the day was to be stoned. Not sure about the man that, you know, was should have been in the very cauting, cauting, uh, you know, wrong way to say that, but caught in the very act of adultery. What about the man? But anyway, the woman and, and how Jesus in his wisdom, instead of, you know, getting into great defense or argument, just simply said, he who is without sin, cast the first stone. And one by one, those people that were going to stone her left and he said go and sin no more neither do i condemn thee that's our jesus who does not meet out the uh, punishment but meets out grace so yeah the woman caught in adultery is a fabulous example of compassion and mercy and what we need to be about in helping people find a new life one more, and then we'll turn our attention further. Yeah, the woman with an issue of blood. She had physical concern issues, and she had faith that if she just touched the hem of his garment, she would be healed. And Jesus knew. And it's not that she received healing that he called her out. But I think he called her out to show her faith. And Jesus blessed her with healing. People were hungry. Jesus fed them. People were sick and they ill, uh, lame, couldn't walk. Jesus met their physical needs. And it's something I appreciate that I've learned about the ministry of this church. Meeting people's needs with food, with clothing, with assistance. That that is the work of Jesus. The compassion. I love the um, the ministry uh, of you know helping those with addictions that I see going on at this church. What a wonderful thing to be the hands of Jesus. So we look further at biblical reflections. 
I love the words of Matthew 11 when Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He didn't say, Come to me, and I will give you all the answers, and I'll give you tasks to do. Jesus calls people with gospel, with good news, to rest. I'll give you peace. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't know much about farming, but I have heard the illustration that ox, oxen are used in pairs. And there's a lead ox that really knows the, the, the scope of what needs to be done here. And then there's the other ox just kind of holding up the yoke. So you have the lead ox. And I like to think that Jesus, I'm in a yoke with Jesus and he's the lead ox. And I'm the dumb ox just kind of holding up the other part of the uh, yoke. And so I think when we think of Jesus, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Gospel is good news. It's simple. And our growth weekend is about the simplicity of what we really can do to help others and and have the courage to be present and lean in to that kind of situation. Here we referenced uh, Paul's thorn in the flesh. Second uh, Corinthians 4, 6 through 8. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light to shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair. It's this idea that God uses us as imperfect people. Back in in New Testament and Old Testament times, pottery was like our plates. And and so we didn't have uh, a Costco or uh, other wholesale club or uh, dollar store to get things from. They had pottery, and even if it was cracked or chipped, they used it. And it still had value, even if maybe half of its capacity uh, couldn't be used because of the crack, they still used it. And I think that's a great analogy for God's treasure is in us. We are jars of clay, and we're chipped, and we're cracked, and God still uses us. We are those imperfect vessels that are entrusted with God's mission. Galatians chapter 6, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. And I think that's a key word, and that comes away with our words. It comes away with the tone of our voice. It comes uh, from us with the compassion that's on our face, that we work with people who are hurting who are in a wayward place in their lives, we restore them gently. And we're going to learn more about how to do that tomorrow and Sunday morning. I love this, that watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. 
It's kind of like we've got to be careful even in our own lives because we are people made of the same vulnerabilities, the same struggles that other people have that may be presented to us in a ministry situation that we also need to be careful not to be tempted into whatever somebody's struggling with. And then this this last verse, verse 2, up on the screen, carry each other's burdens. That's another one of those one another passages in the epistles that are so wonderful as we look at the body meeting the body's needs and the body of Christ also reaching out to those who do not know him to reach out to those folks as well because this is the way that we fulfill The law of Christ, if I were rewording that, I would put it the mission of Christ. That would be the Ed Gray paraphrase. Let's think of another biblical illustration here as far as foundational work for what we're doing. The book of Job and the story of Job. We've we've read that before. We've heard sermons. We've perhaps had a Bible class that has studied the book of Job. But you think about Job's life and the trials and the struggles and everything that happened to him. In the early stages, I'm about to give away the punchline. I should back up. When were Job's friends of most value to him? Yes. Yes. When they didn't say anything, when they sat with him, they cried, they put sackcloth and ashes on, they grieved with him. There were no theological words. There were no reasons why this was happening. In fact, I would say that's when they became worthless is when they tried to start finding answers for Job's struggles. When they started talking for God, well, this must be what's wrong in your life, Job, and this is what you've done wrong. And they started getting theological and they then became worthless to him. In fact, quite the most of pain. There's another Old Testament passage as we're doing some biblical reflections here that I like. And it's the 23rd Psalm. And and how often is this read at a graveside? How often is this in a hospital room with a chaplain when people are struggling? When we need the comfort that the Lord is our shepherd and we are that wounded lamb. And sometimes in, in counseling when I'm teaching people to relax, I'll read the 23rd Psalm or paraphrase, recite uh, the 23rd Psalm. And I, I ask them to imagine that you are this wounded lamb or this scared lamb or this hungry lamb. And how God is shepherd. And how God meets our physical needs, our emotional needs, our fear needs, uh, our physical needs, our relational needs, even in the face of enemies. And how God's rod and staff, they protect and they comfort. And our desire to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And in our mission this weekend, obviously, God is the God of all comfort. And Jesus and God had that sense of being shepherd. 
Well, we get to be the shepherd's assistant. And I think that's my greatest privilege in being being a counselor uh, and helping other people to take on that sense of ministry, of, of care and compassion, is that we get to be the hands of Jesus, the shepherd's hands to those who are hurting. Any other scriptures uh, or encounters of Jesus come to mind when, when you think of uh, kind of some biblical reflection here for our weekend? The people with leprosy, the people that were demon-possessed, the people that were truly marginalized by society and said, we don't want you around us. You terrify us or we're afraid of you. Yes, those were opportunities. And, and when people are marginalized and society wants to have nothing to do with them, that's a great example of the people that we want to be able to lean into and help. Anybody else in Scripture come to mind? Microphone's coming. Is that on? Okay, my guess is that um, at the seashore, after he uh, um, his resurrection, and the apostles, and he made breakfast for them, and then he said to Peter, do you love me? I'm guessing that might have somehow helped Peter forgive himself for denying Jesus. I could yes. be wrong, but... Yeah, the, you know, the quandary of, of after the resurrection, what, what are we to do? Who are we, who are we to be, our Savior? was crucified, and, and they're not yet enlightened to know that he's resurrected and he lives. And, and yeah, the guilt that Peter must have, have felt when he said, I'll never deny you, and then he's already done it three times before the cock crows. Yeah. People with guilt wish I coulda, shoulda. And how does that reflect oftentimes our lives? I wish I could have, should have, what I knew. I, and we, we just kind of then start looping instead of accepting grace. Confession, open our hearts and open our hands. And the very comfort that God gives us and things that we've learned help us to approach in humility difficult situations. So I hope those kind of biblical reflections will help us as we know that we have a mission, that this is God's work in this world. And it's, it's what actually precedes gospel acceptance. It's, it's out of relationship that people connect with us, that they know that we have their back, we have hopes for them, we believe in them, that we're willing to be patient in their struggles. It's when people have that relational security that the good news of the gospel, what comes in our heads and what comes out of Scripture, can actually then fill a heart to provide that change and that new growth that happens for them in a walk with Christ. 
How many of you got to listen to the recording of Landon Saunders? I'm really curious if we could get the mic going. And Landon Saunders is a minister in Churches of Christ. He's now 80-something years old. And he, in his ministry, after doing located work in Arkansas, it's where he began his ministry, uh, he actually went to Harding School of Theology back when it was called uh, Harding University Graduate School of Bible and Religion. Uh, but he has good Harding roots. And what he did in his ministry, he had a radio program um, called Heartbeat. And it was an outreach radio, like 60-second spot that would appear in the morning rush hour and on network radio. So we're talking, what, 50-plus years ago uh, for that kind of thing. And then he had several um, ministry seminars that he did around the uh, country, Heart of the Fighter. Uh, but the way that Landon talks is not out of book, chapter, and verse uh, of Scripture. He talks about concepts of gospel with people. And so the particular recording that you were listening to is something I had my students in my counseling skills class listen to uh, and listening to how he says the heart learns and how people live life and more about this compassion. So anyway, with that introduction to the rest of you, uh, if you want a link to that, I think Jay's providing that free, no charge. Uh, in fact, Landon uh, has blessed that. I uh, said, this recording that you did years ago, can I use it when I present with people? Because it so presents the heart of Jesus. So what are some of the reactions uh, to this Landon Saunders recording that I hope some of the rest of you will get to listen to by those that have listened? What's something that stood out for you? How effective somebody can be with so few words. Landon gave an illustration of a young lady who was depressed and troubled and, and he didn't know what to do or to tell her or how to change her life. And so he said, you know, meet me after class three times a week. Walk to the car with me on the campus where he was teaching. And out of that relationship and just spending a little time, three times a week, walking to the car, being present with her, she got better. And the counselor that she'd been seeing was scratching his or her head saying, how did she get better? And Landon said, I don't know. I just spent time with her. Yeah, great illustration how sometimes how few a words we use and how helpful that can be. Somebody else. I don't have them memorized, but when he talked about the five, um, I forget what he called them, but one of them was courage, and how simple he made that sound to like somebody like me, uneducated. Yeah, he gave a list of several things about about the courage that it takes to sometimes just put one foot in front of the other and make it through a day. And how somebody just honoring and acknowledging that um, can be so helpful. 
He has a term, he calls it radical human presence. Radical, that it's different. It's human in that it's one human being with another human being, simply being in the moment of whatever it is. And it really takes me back to the the sense of Job's friends when they were quiet. They didn't have words to say. They just sat with him and they grieved. And sometimes when there's been a sudden death, sometimes the best thing to say is nothing. There are no words. And you then don't give any further words. I'm here for you. And you don't have but just those few words of radical human presence. Um, I love a little story that Landon tells about uh, Ricky the parakeet. His aunt had a parakeet that knew its name and knew its address. And no matter what you'd say, uh, when the bird, you know, it would just start rattling out its name and its address. And sometimes we do that with advice or when we're uncomfortable in a situation, we just want to start rattling off something. And so we don't want to do that. We're going to listen uh, we're going to learn this weekend how to simply sit there and be present with just a few words. Yes. Let's get the microphone and help the rest of the crowd and me out. Is Thank there you. ever going to be a time you're actually going to say something to them or is it always going to be listening? You know, a, a wise word fitly spoken is there in the Proverbs. Yes, there are things, and that's one, one of the things we're going to work with tomorrow, is what do we say? What are the words that we choose as we encounter someone in such a difficult condition of emotion or pain or whatever it is that they're going through? So, yeah, we're going to learn some things. Uh, in fact, there's a little cheat sheet uh, in the very back that'll be kind of a summary of a number of things, uh, a summary of skills learned. So you can actually look ahead. Uh, page 10. So anyway, there are going to be some kind of go-to open-ended things to invite the person into radical human presence. With us, I'd really encourage you, if you uh, can, you know, we listen to podcasts now all the time. It's kind of become a thing. Treat this like one of the best spiritual podcasts that will help you in knowing how to simply be in the presence of someone who's struggling and have just a few words that are very fitly uh, spoken at the time. One of the things that I encourage us to think about is that when you are a helper, it's like we need to know the book of our life, God's journey uh, in our hearts, in our lives, our journey of grace, our acceptance of gospel in our lives and how we live it imperfectly as we do. We need to know our book and our background and our story. And so when we are in the moment of someone else who's opened the book of their life and has had the courage to say, I'm drowning, I'm hurting, I'm help, I'm confused, can you help me? What we do with the book of our life is we close it and we put it up on the shelf. 
Because we want to be there for the book of their life in their moment rather than flipping to page 35 when I was 21 or when I was 15 or when I was 35. We don't want to be relating our book to their book because that gets us then seeing it our way instead of trying to see it their way. So think about the book of your life. You want to know that well and understand God's grace and mercy and how that's been in your life. And then put that on the shelf because it'll help you then be with this person as they are opening the pages of their life. So part of knowing the book of our life, do we have any prejudices? Do we have stereotypes? Do we have opinions or reactions or political views or uh, judgments about people's behavior in society? We need to know what our automatic reactions are because sometimes that's seen on our face. And sometimes the best thing we can do is somebody's presenting something of their life that they're struggling with, and we have an automatic reaction to that. If we, in God's grace, can sit on the book of our life and just be present radically, non-judgmentally with people, we can get to a point of listening and help them see what the hurts and the needs are in their life without preaching uh, at them or reacting to them. Uh, and so know your own book well. And if you do have kind of some hot buttons, things that are hard for you to accept of people's behavior in society, that's going to limit how much you can help if you can't sit on the book of your life and keep it closed or keep it on the shelf. How many of you are Mr. Rogers fans? How many of you had kids or grandkids that have grown up on Mr. Rogers? Um, My wife and I went to see the movie Mr. Rogers. If you haven't seen the uh, A Day in the Neighborhood or whatever, Tom Hanks movie that came out about five, four or five years ago. If you haven't seen that, you really ought to go see it. But my wife had said that weekend we go to the movies once a year or so, said, we ought, to, we ought to go to see a movie. The Mr. Rogers movie has come out, and, and Ford versus Ferrari has come out. And I know you like cars, Ed, so, you know, we should probably go see that. And I'm thinking, oh, but it's a car movie. We should probably go see Mr. Rogers. So, you know, I was trying to think I was doing the better thing for her to watch that. Uh, actually, I did get to see Ferrari, uh, Ford versus Ferrari later. But I was thinking the first five to ten minutes of that movie, oh, this is so slow. Oh, why Why am I not sitting in Ford versus Ferrari? And after about ten minutes, I was hooked. Because Mr. Rogers had a way of radical human presence like Landon is talking about. He had a soft and gentle way of listening and speaking. So here are a couple of uh, Mr. Rogers quotes. He says, anything that's human is mentionable and anything is that is mentionable can be more manageable. When we can talk about our feelings, they become less overwhelming, less upsetting, 
and less scary. The people we trust with that important talk can help us know that we are not alone. That's that concept of radical human presence. And Mr. Rogers, this is a quote, he did this with kids. What I'd like to suggest with what you hopefully, if you haven't seen that movie, that you'll watch it and you'll see, guess what? This works with adults, too. And you're going to see a powerful, dramatic storyline of Mr. Rogers doing that in the movie. How many of you have seen that movie? Okay. It'd be a good find on Netflix or Amazon Prime movies, whatever uh, you can access movies. Uh, that's a good movie. He also uh, says, in times of stress, the best thing we can do for each other is to listen with our ears and our hearts and to be assured that our questions are just as important as our answers. Again, think about what he's doing with kids. It works with adults as well. You know, whenever we help other people, we usually kind of go, what, is, what can I relate to in my life? What, what should this be? And that's just kind of a human tendency. I want to try and fix this because I'm kind of uneasy and I want to fix this. And so we're going to usually do that out of our own frame of reference. So I've got a little uh, psychology thing here. So uh, trust me on this. Um, it is psychology. I got it out of a little neuropsych uh, presentation that I really like. Um, but... I don't know about you, but I, I do really like ice cream. And uh, my favorite flavor is uh, butter pecan or fudge ripple. Um, and so I don't know, what, what kind of ice cream pop up with a, an answer? What, what kind of flavor of ice cream do you like? Butterscotch. Butterscotch. Ooh, yeah. What else? Mint chocolate, Mint chocolate chip. Green or white? Green, yes. New York cherry. New York cherry, yeah. Rocky Road makes me think of that. Mm. Well, I'd like for you to look here. I've, I've got part of this blacked out, and I'm kind of curious what you think is behind the, what's the message up here? Mm, absolutely right. Ice cream is good. JGF, GBFAM, JS, CQQD. Oh, come on, Ed. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's not what we think. And so you might make this analogy that when we encounter people in their struggles, we think, oh, I see part of this. Ice cream is good. That's what we're talking about here. But it really is JGF, GBFAM, CQQD kind of thing. And so that's part of why listening and having just a few words are so important. 
Because we jump to conclusions. We hear a little bit. We think, I know what to do here. I know how I experience this in my life. Or I've helped somebody else before who's presented in this kind of situation. And what we're better off to do is to follow Landon Saunders or Fred Rogers' advice to simply listen with our ears and validate people's questions and learn more about the questions that they're asking because then we're going to be in a better place to help them find their answers. So I love that little uh, illustration about how we can jump to conclusions. And I know I set you up uh, by asking you and introducing the topic of our favorite ice creams But there really is a point of human nature and how we perceive what we see. We see part of it and we fill in the gap. There's another exercise that I do with my students and I'll draw a circle on the board, but it's not a circle because I don't close the gap. And and so I draw that circle on the board and I ask students what this is. Um, And they say it's a circle. I say, well, no, a circle is a full there's a gap here, but it's kind of like the human tendency. We see psychologically certain things and then we fill in the gap. And that's also what we do with our stereotypes of people. We see part of their life and we fill in the gap with our stereotype of them. And so being radical human presence or being the compassionate from the God and Father of all comfort who gives us uh, his compassion, grace, and infinite mercy is letting the gap stay there and be curious about what we don't know and ask about what we don't know and ask about what's being said and not fill in the gap ourselves. Early on, when I decided instead of being a preacher, I wanted to do kingdom work, but it's not studying and being up in front of people. I can do fine for weekend seminars, but folks, I'm not a preacher. You'll probably find that out Sunday morning if you haven't figured it out before then. But I decided that wasn't my calling for ministry, but I still kind of had that Bible answer man, right, wrong, black, white. Scripture tells us exactly what needs to be. So if we live that way and we do what Scripture says, automatically things will be better. But that's kind of the approach that the young Ed Gray started out with when I was studying counseling. I'd had a professor at Lipscomb University who who was a great speech writer. He had a note card for everything. He also did preaching. He had topical cards, a ready answer uh, of scripture for any certain thing. And so back when three by five cards were a thing, 50, 60 years ago, I bought the three drawer starter file system and I bought a bunch of wholesale three by five cards. And I was going to be, quote, the preacher now turned counselor who had an answer for everything. And it didn't take me long to realize I couldn't know everything. I shouldn't know everything. And when I thought I knew something, I usually didn't know the right thing for this person. And so what I learned fairly soon in my 
counseling studies and career is that there are really multiple perspectives. Um, and so some responses are relatively better than other responses. And tomorrow morning, we're going to go into some specific counseling skills um, and learn, do we focus on the facts of what's happened? Do we focus on the feelings of what somebody's feeling, uh, their emotions? Or do we focus on, on, on the meaning that this has for them? Or do we get a picture of the patterns and the problems and the history this person's gone into? We use judgment and discernment and compassion to figure out which of those things that we need to pay more attention to. So in my class, um, I typically bring up a situation. We'll call him Bob. We'll say he's 15 years employed at XYZ company, but he's just been laid off due to the economy. In fact, uh, he comes and wants to, to meet with you, and he just pours out his heart. He's angry. He's crying. And, you know, this is like, say, uh, 50-year-old man, and he's crying, and this is not supposed to happen. Come on, put it, pull it together, guy. You know, you know, the, you know, this is not good. You know, might be some of our tendency, but he complains about the company downsizing. He's had a new boss for the past six months who was, who's actually hired to be the hatchet man and fire people. Um, he calls him a jerk and some other expletives kind of thing. And, and, and Bob, he, he helped build this company. It's only been around for about 20 years. He's been uh, in the top three salesmen, you know, kind of thing. But he, but he hadn't been doing his paperwork lately. And his wife, Sally, has said, you better keep your uh, record keeping, you know, current and up to date. You know, they're letting people go. And he says, no, I'm in the top three sales people of the company. They'll, they'll never let me go, but they let him go. And he's got... His wife, he's got his house payment, he's got kids and tuition, school expenses, and he comes in just beside himself and says, Ed, tell me what to do. What's you going to tell him? What's you going to say to this guy who's just beside himself? The chances are you're going to pay attention to what concerns you most if you are in that situation. And so maybe you're very conscientious about finances. You know what the nest egg will tolerate, how many months of house payments, kids and school expenses, how much it's going to take before you're, uh, you're insolvent uh, kind of thing. So maybe that's what you will. So, so, Bob, how much money have you got saved? How are you? Because that's your interest of concern. My interest would be, um, you know, Sally and you, because I'm a marriage counselor. Uh, that's my profession uh, in ministry. Uh, I'm going to say, so how are you and Sally going to navigate this kind of thing? Because I'm concerned about marriage. She's been kind of on his case. She's been warning him, you know, don't, you know, get far behind in your paperwork. Um, others of you might be concerned about what's his next job going to be, what are his talents, and you're saying how how recent is your resume. And again, it's kind of like that ice cream is good. We start filling in the blanks of what we need to ask him about because of what we're concerned 
about. So what I teach my students to do, these few words, Bob, and you validate his, Bob, I really hear how desperate you are and how devastated you are. So I'm just kind of holding up a mirror, reflecting back what I'm seeing that Bob's giving me. I just reflect that back to him. And then I ask that that question, I say, so Bob, what comes up for you that you kind of need to to deal with today? I let Bob give me the direction of where we need to go. Instead of me being wise enough to try to give him the right direction, it's really more about the book of my life. I ask Bob, so with all that's happened, what is it that you that comes up for you for today that's, that's, that needs to, to happen? And so as we think about Bob, you might be surprised that he says, Sally. And he starts saying, I've got a coworker who got laid off a month ago, and he hasn't had the guts to tell his wife yet. He leaves in the morning, he goes to Starbucks, he goes to the public library, and then he comes home at time, you know, on time, but he hadn't had the guts to tell his wife, and he, and Bob sobs, I can't do that with Sally. She stood beside me and too many other struggles in our life together. I say, so tell me more about that. And so Bob begins to tell me about Sally and the struggles that they've weathered through. So Bob's directing the little thing here. And so I say, so tell me more about one of those struggles. What did you do? Well, we go out to eat. And, and we talk and, and I fess up or I say what, what needs to be said. We get the kids pizza and they're happy to be left at home, uh, to eat pizza and we go out and we talk. We've got a restaurant that's kind of quiet. So Bob, is that what you need to do this afternoon? He says, yeah, but I'm just going to call Sally and tell her order pizza for the kids. I'll pick her up at 4.30. Uh, five o'clock. I don't want my kids to see me blubbering like a fool like this. Say, Bob, sounds like you've got a good plan. That plan came from within Bob. It came by caring enough to listen to his story about what comes up for him that he needs to do today about all of this. It's not flying into resume writing and, and, you know, who do you know in this industry that you could get a new job or how much money have you got? How long? Those would be my questions or our questions. It may be our sensitivity. So what we're going to learn throughout this is don't answer the question of what do I do? Tell me what to do, Ed. Our genuineness with this question is, I don't know this moment what to do, but we will figure it out together. I am here with you.
You join them, you validate how devastated they are, and you don't answer that question directly of what do I do. So there's a a pioneer in the field of counseling that I make my students memorize these three things. Be genuine with people. Be empathic with people. Imagine what it's like for Bob to be in Bob's shoes, not Ed Gray or Jay or Miles or someone else. You know, don't imagine what this is like to be yourself in their shoes. Imagine what it's like to be Bob in Bob's shoes. And that will help us be more radically present with them as we're genuinely concerned about them, as we have empathy for them, and as we have unconditional positive regard. And that also comes out in your Landon Saunders recording, if you get a chance to listen to that. How to love people even in the midst of their mess of their lives. And so Carl Rogers would say these are the three things that make up for the helping uh, skills that we engage in. In fact, Carl Rogers, he simply would be radically present with people. He didn't even ask questions. He simply let people talk. We'll come to that in a little bit. We'll talk more about that. So empathy versus projective sympathy. Empathy is where we feel ourselves in their shoes, not us in their shoes. And so I've got a little cute video. Brene Brown, anybody know of Brene Brown? You know, she's kind of a, a mental health, self-help uh, person that's of, of renown. So let me play a little video about empathy that drives connection with someone versus sympathy that drives disconnection. Let me make a little switch here. All right, we've got our sound ready to go. So what is empathy and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions where empathy is relevant and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. <laughs> Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, climb down. I know what it's like down here. And you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, (laughs) it's bad, uh uh-huh. Uh, no. You want a sandwich? Um, Empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice, because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time, because you know what? 
someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful, and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. So what do you think about that? Has somebody ever sympathized, oh, I can't imagine this, oh, you poor person, how are you holding up? How helpful is that to you? Versus, I don't know what to say, I'm here for you. Or I see your pain and, and I just, I feel hurt for you. One is empathy. Sympathy is kind of condescending from your place down to the other person. And, and I know we often are uh, well-intended. Uh, one of the 12 Conversations books that I've written about connecting with people is in grief situations. And so many times um, people say, yeah, when my father died or yeah, when my, you know, and they, they parallel their situation as if, you know, this gives me the right to now tell you how you need to be in this moment, or I know how it is for you, when it's better yet left to say, I've been in places of pain myself. I want to be here for you. And we, frankly, zip it and keep quiet about our experience of something, and we say, and we just simply are present with them. And that's our empathy response rather than sympathy. Oh, I know how this was for me. And oh, how this, I know it's hard for you. And, and we're talking a lot instead of simply being radically present. That's about as far in our helping skills that I wanted to get tonight. I thought I'd leave just a minute or two for questions. Uh, anything come up for you that you want to... Um, Ask right now or as our, our kids program expires at 8 o'clock and I want to honor them uh, by ending on time. I'm going to be up here. If there's something you want to come and ask me, um, I'm, I'm hanging out here. I'm not doing the youth activity here that's coming up shortly. It sounds like a lot of fun, but probably doesn't fit my speed and agility. <laughs> All right. Anything you want to ask? publicly here now, or simply just come up and ask me afterwards. Let's get the mic, and that'll help me. By the way, I have hearing aids. Don't mind saying that. My hearing is not what it used to be 20 years ago. Uh, but anyway. Yeah, I was just asking, is it always wrong to, like, um, is it, yeah, is it always wrong to, is it wrong to say something? Like, is that always wrong, or should you always be listening? 
The way that we introduce listening is usually validating what we see and and we'll talk about that tomorrow, but but validating and recognizing, reflecting that back to the person. And then we get silent because we want them to feel free to speak from their perspective rather than us telling or structuring how that ought to be. So we validate feelings. We honor, we accept, even when it's not very pretty. Um, so we'll talk more about that tomorrow. So do come back. This is a great group. I appreciate your involvement and uh, what a great turnout. And I, I think this really is going to kind of put wind for your wings uh, to to sail as you instead of go around uh, a hurting situation that you get to lean in and be present with it. I hope you're going to have helping skills demystified here through the weekend that you feel like I really can be God's servant in this way and lean into tough situations with people. Let's close in a moment of prayer. Um, shall I lead us or would one of the other leaders here? Billy's going to do that. Great. One thing I noticed um, with the modern day technology is that I, I miss some most of it because I'm out there doing something else, but I also know that I can always go back and watch it. Uh, I noticed some of you are taking pictures of all the uh, PowerPoint. Just so you know, if you look at the back of your pamphlet, there's QR code. In fact, if you take a picture, if you use a camera, your smartphone camera, you actually can go ahead and you can do homework tonight because it shows all the points of all four lessons. So you can actually get ahead so you can act, like look really smart tomorrow in class. Like, in fact, you should all sit up front because, you know, all the good, all the great students sit up front. So, but anyway. I can understand that because according to my family, I'm pretty deaf too. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I want to find, uh, Dr. Great for driving all the way up and, um, and I also want to thank Jay and Miles, Alicia, Linda. Uh, there's a bunch of other people who make this happen. Um, without, without those guys doing all the work and ladies doing all the work, uh, we won't be here listening to Dr. Grace. So, uh, let's go to our God in prayer. God, we come to you. We so very thankful that we have the time to learn a little bit more how to care. Father, I think sometimes we, we think we know how to do it. But I think sometimes we go about doing it all together wrong. Father, we are thankful for the wisdom and the knowledge of Dr. Grave for his willingness to share with us. We ask your blessing upon him. We ask you to continue to be with him for the next couple of days for sharing. We are so very thankful for the leadership of this church family here to take on this responder to have this weekend. We pray that this weekend will benefit us, help us to grow, 
help us to learn to be better servant. We are thankful for the safe travel for many who come from of great distance. Uh, we are thankful for the safe arrival and be with those who are still with traveling here tomorrow. We ask you to be with them. Father, be with us. Open our hearts. Open our our mind. Open our uh, open us to to serve you. Uh, we thank you for what we have, but most of all, we thank you for your Son. We thank you for His love, for His love for us that He went to the cross to die on our behalf. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Uh, just uh, everybody's, you're more than welcome to hang around to have coffee uh, to visit. So if you're the last one to leave, don't forget to turn all the light off. <laughs>